Well, hello and welcome back to the Faithful and Trusted Podcast with Pastor, Author, Teacher, Dr. Travis Tyler. I am Zechariah Pugh and I will be your host for the day and uh, we just appreciate you joining us. Thanks for being here. Travis, how are you doing? I know you were battling a little bit of a cold sickness last week. Have you survived? Are you alive or are you all right? It wasn't a cold, it was COVID. You had COVID. Or maybe it was a cold. You be the judge. (laughs) But I tested positive for COVID and it felt like a sinus infection, so yeah, I'm after five days of quarantine, I got the jailbreak out yesterday, and I really also sorry to the guys at Redemption House that I hugged all of them and gave them all COVID. So sorry, guys. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're well. Glad everything is good. Um, and yeah, if you're uh, if you're watching us on Spotify, you can you can see Travis in his office and me as well. So we invite you to do that. Of course, this podcast is wherever podcasts are listened to, and we hope that you're sharing it. We also hope that you'll visit our Facebook page uh, at uh, the Faithfully Entrusted. Uh, on Facebook. Uh, lots of good content on there, uh, all of the podcasts. And then uh, we also fulfill, I put some of Travis's sermons up, some other pastors that I follow. Uh, so check that out. Go uh, follow or like the page and uh, share it if you can. Well, today uh, we're going to go and get kind of back to the roots of the Faithfully Entrusted, which we always talked about, was, which is just Bible. We've done some a couple of series We've worked on a couple different uh, other things, you know, during the the Christmas season, but today we're going to get right into a book of the Bible, and it's going to be First Kings. And the very there's a very specific reason. This is uh, as Travis and I have talked. This is kind of something that's been on his heart. Um, I would say for a long time, but specifically, it kind of dawned back up in 2023 at the beginning of the year. So let's dive into First Kings, and Travis, give us a little bit of a synopsis of why this is um, a kind of a big deal to you right now. Well, I, I got re-familiar with this book. First of all, I, I'm going to say this may this may come to you as a surprise. I don't know, but um, some of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life have come from the book of First Kings as the text. So that's one thing. But the bigger issue is this: got back in touch with reacquainting myself with First Kings in a Christmas series this this past winter uh, called "The King, the Virgin, and Christmas," where we looked at you know. Basically, First Kings begins with the death of King David and his David declining out of uh, this world into the next. And, you know, they David can't keep warm as the book opens here. So they say, well, we'll get a pretty young thing and put her in bed with him. David always liked the ladies. And, yeah. of course, he's impotent in every sense of the word by this point in his life. He can't do anything. Bible tells us he did not know her, so she remained a virgin. And I kind of dovetailed that with Christmas, saying that, you know, as David ended his life, impotent and helpless, being kept warm by a virgin, we go to Luke chapter 2, and what do we find? We find the birth of a king who is totally, at this point, physically, into, you know, he is not able to do yet, and who keeps him warm but a virgin? And so, you know, as David ended, so Jesus begins, but he is the greater King David, right? So that was sort of the main point. But what's gripped me about this book, though, is the way it opens with the decline and then death of David is kind of a foreshadow for the whole book. Yeah. It is a divinely ordained picture of decline in a nation. And I have heard since I have been in ministry for 20 years, our morality is declining as a nation in the United States. Our churches are in decline. In fact, if I can share something with you, 
I found this fascinating. I found dear friend of mine who's going to be with the Lord, Pastor Ron Owens, who used to pastor here, gave me a stack of files. I don't know if you can see them. They're sitting over to my left. And um, I finally, being stuck in this room and this area here for five days, got to rummage through some of them. I found this one. It was uh, Current Trends in the church, dated 1982. So this is as old as you and I, all right? I want you. I want to read the conclusion sentences from this dear brother, this pastor in 1982. 40 years listen, ago. Yeah, listen to this. Present Sunday school enrollment will be about the same in the year 2000 in America as it is today, 1982. The real evangelistic growth will occur in Africa, South America, and the Orient. The industrialized nations of Western Europe and Japan will have no noticeable growth during this period. True, true, and true. Southern Baptist, which is what you know we are here, but Southern Baptist will experience growth in the, he calls them super churches, and he's using quotations. I think he means mega churches is right. what he's talking about. I don't about. know. Yeah, had that name been, they were probably still uh, branding what that was called. Yeah, that yeah they were. It was 82, you know. <laughs> Pioneer churches, so that's going to be churches like out in Montana where they're planting churches yeah. and, you know, pioneer states, and the Orient. The industrialized nations of Western Europe and Japan will have no noticeable growth during the period. Oh, I think I jumped sentences there. Most of the Baptist churches will not match the population growth in the U.S. during this period, and that has come true. He mm -hmm. was right about that. With population shifts in America, and especially in the Sun Belt, I think that's down around Florida, mm -hmm. you know, down on the coastal right. area, um, <clears throat> the typical Baptist church will lose 70 members annually. It is therefore must gain 70 new members to break even. This will be done by swapping members with other SBC churches, that's short for Southern Baptist Convention churches, and baptizing their children. Pastors and leading lay volunteers will devote much, much of their time to maintaining large facilities, raising money to pay for utilities, maintenance, loans, and salaries. They will spend much energy attempting to manage fringe programs of the SBC whose times may have come and gone, and they will endeavor he would, they would devote a huge amount of resources to minister to the needs of the congregation, i.e. family interests, youth programs, and senior adult ministries. And here's a chilling line. He says, evangelism will be on the back burner. And then he goes on and says this, note, almost 50% of the active church members have never been in a growing evangelistic church since they became active members after 1960. And, and just to be clear, this is just a, a, and I don't mean to diminish him, but this is the pastor of the church you're at now, correct? Is that what you're saying? No, he was never pastor here. He was pastor of a church in Johnson City close okay. by, but, but he but, was well-respected in his day. But just to paint a picture here, and again, this is not to diminish this brother. This is just a Southern Baptist preacher in a small little town in East Tennessee. I'm just saying this is not Charles Spurgeon, some giant no. theologian preaching to hundreds of thousands of people, or Billy Graham. I mean, Brother got prophetic and knocked a lot of balls out of the park here. Yeah, in and I, his concluding statement. So he's but, he's yeah. basically so let's let's get our minds around this for just a minute. He is basically saying he is pointing back to 1960 and saying that was the start of the great decline. Yeah, yeah, the 60s were were decimating to the to the gospel <laughs> for sure. Yeah, the 60 he point he pointing back and saying the six 1960. You know, he said there's growth and and the church expanded. Evangelism did well. 1960, everything tanked. So, 
So we've been in decline for generations now. So and that, what happened? So, what happened in nineteen in the sixties? What was the revolution that happened? Well, there were many things that happened at the one at that juncture. Um, well, the sexual ref. I'm talking about the sexual, sexual revolution. revolution happened. There were continual tensions over segregation and Jim Crow laws. Right. There was, um, you know, and and I I'm sad to say that many conservative Bible believing churches kept their mouths shut too long mm-hmm. on some of the, on the issues, particularly dealing with, uh, you know, segregation and Jim Crow laws. There should have been more vo- vocalization backing, you know, equality, but there wasn't. And so it happened the way it happened. So I just think that it's interesting that what we're going to be talking about is David's decline, even though he didn't know this woman, this virgin, it was a sexual connotation, right? Like, you know, a beautiful woman coming and laying with him. And then of course we're going to learn about Solomon and all his mistakes. Um, I I was reading, I agree with what you're saying about the church, not speaking up about segregation and things like that. I still think that the sexual revolution in the sixties may be the most damaging and, and catastrophic thing to the gospel. And, and, and it may, I don't know that I would say around the world, but probably around the world because it's, it, it was a worldwide thing, but certainly in America, for sure, because um, I think that gets us to today where we are, um, where, you know, you know, homosexuality was was looked badly on. But then it was like, well, homosexuality is OK, but gay marriage is wrong. And then it's like, well, gay marriage is wrong, is OK, but like transgender stuff is, is bad. And then now like transgender stuff is OK, um, but like, you know changing the orientation of children and other stuff is wrong, but then now that's okay. And so it's like this slow, you know, push in um, and it all has to do with sexuality. And I think that's the biggest thing when you. Well, I think it goes back one further. I think before you have the sexual decline as somebody who has studied cults and new religious movements, it amazes me when your theology and understanding of who God is gets off the tracks, mm. how quickly sexual sin sets in and it tears lives up. That's right. So you don't understand who God is and God's plan for sex. It's sex is much like fire, right? Fire is a wonderful gift. We use it to cook food. We use it to dispose of unneeded you know, construction materials. Like We have all kinds of functions for fire. We use it to make glass, you know, use it to make fire kilns, to make, you know, bricks and blocks. We use it to heat ourselves and prevent cold from killing us. So it's a wonderful, wonderful gift that God gave. But you set a fire in the middle of a living room outside the parameters that the fire is supposed to be set at. Yeah. And what happens? Destruction. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, devastation. So, you know, you got to be careful. You, you're playing with fire when you're not playing with it under God's parameters. And let me let me finish. By, but I was going to say this. The, I think the difference, I agree with everything you said. I think the difference, though, is that it's one thing to get off the tracks and to mm-hmm. be like, I'm going to try my own way. I think what we're seeing today, and we'll get into this some more in Kings, I believe, it's a flat-out rejection of God. It is. Like I, th- I think it's, I don't even know that it's a, re- it's like, oh, well, I got off the tracks and I don't believe in God anymore. I think the whole the whole transgender movement is absolutely saying there is no God. I don't believe in God. God did not create anything. He did not create me the way he created me. And I can choose and do whatever I want to do. Like it is that it's that true secular humanism of 
truth is what I define it as, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and there is no God. You know what I mean? And I think that's where we're at today. Yes, we got off the tracks over time, but I don't. I think some people never were on the tracks. That's true. And, you know, the book of 1 Kings is about God's people rejecting God and God calling God's people to reject their rejection. Yes. And the more they pursue that rejection, the worse things get. Yeah. And in our country, there's a lot of people now, I mean, we're getting into now third, fourth generation people who don't have biblical framework. Right. So when we talk about some of the things on here, they don't know who David is. They don't know David's sin. They don't know Solomon's sin. So yeah. um, so let's let's dive into a little bit of it, shall we? Does that yes, sound sir. good? Yeah. So this, this book is very applicable for us today. It's 21st century Americans. We are a country in spiritual decline. We are a, a lot of people talk about how we're a sending nation. We send missionaries, but we're a receiving nation now, too. We're mm-hmm. receiving missionaries from South Korea, from Africa, and we're glad they're here. Yeah. Because of the decline we're in. But um, all right. So I want us to talk about here in this divinely inspired picture of decline, because that's what First Kings is. It's a picture of spiritual decline. It has it has seeds, it has fruit, and it has an end. So spiritual doesn't spiritual decline doesn't last forever. Like eventually it comes to an end. And I want to talk about whenever we wrap this up, what that end looks like, you know. Uh so I want us to kind of be armed and warned against this. And religious decline can start in really surprising places. Um, the the first 10 chapters of First Kings, almost half of the book contain all the good stuff that Solomon did, you know, throughout his ministry. We have examples in those chapters of the two women, right? One killed her baby on an accident at night, the other one did not. And the one who accidentally killed her baby tried to switch it with the mother who didn't and you know, they brought the whole case to Solomon, and he said, take out a sword and cut the baby in half. And the real mother said, no, 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 no. And he said, no, give it to that woman, you know, because yeah. she's the real mother. You know, and we we see that. Uh, chapter 2, Solomon takes over, and it's a disputed kingship he takes over. You know, he had an older brother that was vying for the seat there. You know, we, we know that uh, David's – the sword didn't depart from his family after he – had uh, Bathsheba's husband killed, murdered. Uh, he had family problems the rest of his days. And, you know, Absalom was killed. He was in line for the throne. Uh, David's firstborn raped somebody and was killed by a brother, by Absalom. Uh, the third, the thirdborn, we don't know anything about. We think he probably died young. Uh, there's not a lot in the record about it. And so Solomon's like number four in the birth order. And he ascends to the throne. Um, Solomon in chapter three asks for God to give him wisdom. You know, he's a young man. He wants to rule well. God does that. We can read, you can read about that in 311. Uh, Lord first appeared to him and demonstrated to him. Uh, you know, this great wisdom was seen in that story of the women, like I said before. Uh, it was known throughout the world, his his wisdom that was there. And, you know, Solomon because he asked for wisdom above anything else, he got everything. I mean, listen, 
I heard a pastor recently say this, and I thought this was a well-done synopsis of Solomon. He said, Solomon had more money than Bill Gates, okay? And, and he did. I mean, the, the estimates of the money he had is unreal. He had a bigger harem than Hugh Hefner, <laughs> okay? <laughs> he did. Uh, he had uh, really more influence than either one of those, than the two of those men put together have. He was, his wealth was, was greater than Jeffrey Bezos. His economic reach was greater than Jeffrey Bezos. And he was king of Israel. So that, that was the kind of leader that they had. I mean, the, the power and the wealth and the influence that he had was greater than three of our modern leaders combined or four, you know. Um, Solomon turned to build his palace, um, in chapter six and seven and, and the temple construction. We read about that chapter eight, the glory of the Lord filled the temple and Solomon dedicates the temple by prayer and worship of the Lord. This is probably the high point of his life as king. And this is this is what we would look at and say these are the glory days of Israel of old. You know, yeah. this is right here in this section. Uh, chapter nine, the Lord appears a second time to Solomon and goes on to warn him about idolatry, and it's and it's a sobering warning. It's the Lord knows, I guess He knows what's coming. And then chapter ten is a really good summary of Solomon's wisdom. And and to look at, you know, verse 21 says this, all Solomon's go- uh, goblets were gold, all the household articles, uh, you know, and articles of the palace or the forest Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver because silver was considered of little value. Verse 23 uh, says greater riches and wisdom and all the all the other kings of the earth, the whole world sought an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God put in his heart. So, I mean, this is where the guy was. He was literally on top of the world. (laughs) Uh, Just an amazing picture of who he is in the first 10 chapters of 1 Kings. He seems to be the personification of the beautiful works that had been promised to King David, the last words that uh, God gave him uh, about a godly ruler, right? And Samuel 23 points to a day coming, says, The God of Israel spoke, and the rock of Israel said to me, uh, The man who rules over and with righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, is the sunrise on the cloud this morning like the brightness, the grass from the earth. And that's what it must have felt like in the kingdom, that he yeah. was the fulfillment of Samuel 23. Splendor of blessings reigned in this famous man's and king of Israel's uh, life. Uh, He, you know, consolidates his power, peace and prosperity result in the country because of his leadership flourishes in the first 10 chapters. And that's, let me stop you right there just to break in a little bit. That's, you're talking about this today. And I think I've talked about it on another podcast, like finishing strong, you know, you and I have had this conversation personally, like there's a lot of guys out there who start strong and do a lot of great things, but they don't finish strong. You know, David doesn't finish strong. Solomon's not going to finish strong. You know, I know you're going to get into this a little bit more, but what are the, 
what are you, in your opinion, what are the things that causes these guys to fall away? Like, especially like a guy like David and even Solomon, they're, they're, they're having conversation with God. They're having their blessings being put on them. You know, what happened? Let's be clear though. David fell away, but returned to the Lord spiritually, you know, and we got a great Psalm out of that. And so I would say, and David's mentioned in the hall of faith. So he, he returns to the Lord faithfully. And I guess you could argue that Solomon does at the very tail end, but there's this period where he's pretty, pretty out there. Yeah. And, and is it uh, just the distractions? I mean, I mean, how can we pertain this to us? Like it's idolatry. Yeah, I mean, we we it's always idolatry. Yeah, we want you know? wealth, right? Everybody wants a little bit more money, but I mean, is that is it worth the distraction and pull away from God? I mean, because I, when I think about idolatry, I think about, I mean, idolatry is that desire for it's that desire for lust it's the desire for chasing other things you know like i think we think lust is sexual and it is it can be but it also could be like a new car or a better job or a bigger house or um the a beach house you know or whatever and are those things not just all distractions they're just temporal things on this earth yeah i mean it's it's a continual problem for god's people even now i mean an idol as as people are listening to this, maybe you're driving to work this morning, you might be tempted to think of like asteroids in the Old Testament and things that they carved and they made, but um, really it's anything you find joy and peace in apart from Christ. Yeah, absolutely, yes. And that's, that's going to look different for different people. You know, some people it's money. Some people it's sexual gratification. Some people it's... Uh, you know, maybe it is something digital, like, you know, your social media platform gives you when people give you likes or whatever, that gives you that high, you know, that dopamine response Mm -hmm. that's triggered. So, yeah, I I think that we're all, we're all addicted to idolatry. We just don't always call it that. Right. But that's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So moving on to Uh, the back half. So we heard the good of Solomon. Now, unfortunately the decline yeah so uh, i guess the decline is best summarized in chapter 11 chapter 11 verses 9 and 10 in first kings read as follows and the lord was angry with solomon because his heart turned away from the lord now you could we could probably park right here spend the rest of this episode about what does that mean? Yeah, I think we should. Or the heart to turn away from the Lord, you know? Um, you know, here's a guy, you know, Charles Stanley talks like he talks to God all the time, but the Bible records that King Solomon did talk to God. Like he had an audible conversation with the Lord. And in verse 11, nine, twice Solomon did that. And in verse 11, nine, it says that his heart turned away from the Lord. Here's my first question. Is that you think it happened suddenly or slowly in Solomon's life? I think it was, it's kind of what I talked about. I think he amassed so much that it was like, it's like a slow, like, I mean, you don't, he did, we talk about his wealth and it was, it was incredible. He didn't get that overnight. It took time to build that. It took time to build the temple. I think it was just the arrogance over time. I think he, just believed like I I don't need God like I think that's why he turned his heart away like it was a slow you know I've got women I've got money I've built this temple I'm one of the greatest kings of Israel of all time 
I don't I don't need God. And that's what I was just talking about a second ago. Like when we have those distractions that come in, you know, we try to get away from the pain and the, you know, that maybe the testing and things that we deal with in our life, those things might be the best thing for us. It might be the thing that keeps us closest to God, you know? And so I know that's where I'm at right now. You know, there's times where I'm like, I want this, I, you know, God, why won't you bless me with this? Why won't you bless me with that? And I'm like, no, you know what? Maybe he's keeping those things from me to keep me from idolatry and to keep me from turning my heart away from him. So there's, this looks different in different people's life. And uh, I know we have some listeners that care deeply about correct doctrine. But I think there's a bit of a warning here. Uh, you know, Solomon cared deeply about doctrine too. And his heart still got turned away from the Lord. It's not simply a set of doctoral beliefs that keep your heart right with God. Um we we know it, it, this is about knowing who we love and who we trust, who we live in relationship with. This is what this verse is talking about. And on the faces of all kinds of people that, you know, that may come to church on Sunday morning and smile and listen and be in mental agreement. But when it comes to where their heart is resting where they're, where we're, uh, where we're understanding our trust and confidence comes from, it may be in something altogether different than what their mind knows is true. Proverbs four twenty three says, "Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life." So. Why do we have to watch over our heart and how do we do that? How do we, how do we in 2023, Travis, which in some ways we don't have Solomon's wealth, but we have extravagances, right? <laughs> like oh, we yeah. have, we have, we have, he was the, the richest dude maybe ever. And he didn't have indoor plumbing, you know, like he uh -huh. didn't have a hot shower every day. Um, he didn't have. I don't know. You might be surprised. He, well, he probably, he right. probably, he probably had a hot shower actually, probably a hot <laughs> bath, but, Excuse but, me. um, but anyway, the point is, is that we have a lot of luxuries, you know, in 2023, air conditioning. I know he didn't have air conditioning, maybe some palm trees being waved at him. But how do we not allow our hearts to, because I would read this verse as watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. And if you allow your heart to be turned to idolatry, you will have flow from it the springs of de death and destruction. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the other side of that coin. So how do we how do we combat that in 2023? Well, I think we're going to have to start by asking ourselves some hard questions. Uh, I think we need to ask ourselves some of those same questions that I outlined a minute ago, starting with, what is it that truly excites my heart? Like, what is it that really, you know, I can't wait. I just, you know, uh, the joy of being around, whatever that is. What What is it that... I'm afraid of, you know, things that really scare you. What are they? Yeah, uh, you're you're beginning to see your heart emerge here. Uh, what what are the things that um, I can take out my money and I can spend it, and it doesn't bother me a bit. So, like, 
you know, what is the average ticket to a UT football game right now? Do you know? Uh, probably 90 to 100 bucks, 90 bucks. Okay. I'd say 90 bucks maybe. For somebody that's not a football fan, that's insanity. It may <laughs> like be. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's insane to pay yeah. 90 bucks. But for me and you, oh, we love it. It's a good deal. Take our money, you know, we'll, <laughs> and here you go. You know, we'll take five. Thank you. Yeah. You know, uh, because we want that experience and yeah. we relish it. We love our balls. Uh, and we, balls. we don't, we don't think twice about spending on yeah. that because it's not a problem in our hearts. Our hearts are not sifted out on it. So looking there, uh, to see where it is, you know, if it's, if it's for you, if it's massing money and having, I've had people tell me their bank accounts, they make them feel secure. Yeah. And uh, I think I that's think, for a lot of people, probably, whether it's a, you have a lot oh, or not, you know, yeah. their security. But, and, but here's but here's the reality. Know. Let's just do a scenario here, Zach. What's the true value of money? It's all it. I mean, that, I I love that because it's backed. I don't know. It's backed by some gold, maybe in for in Kentucky. It's somewhere. not even on the gold standard now. Yeah, it's I know. Not, like it's really, it's backed by debt. It's that's paper, what money yeah, is backed. It's paper in but, a bank, uh, and you don't even if, see any of it ever. You let, know. Let me make you an offer. Well, if I were gonna, I said called you today, Zach, and I would love to be able to do this. By the way, Zach, I would do this for you in a heartbeat if I could. Okay, cool, sweet. Zach, I want to give you a check for one million dollars. It's good. You can cash it today. Okay. Would you accept that? Yes, I would take a million dollars. Oh, today. one caveat. Okay. The moment you cash that check, you'll die. Yes. <laughs> Easy, I'm going fella. To heaven. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> yeah. You know, money is meaningless without life. Absent and without with, health. Absent and with the body, present with the Lord. That money goes so, into my bank account and the kids can use it. And that's another thing. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you rest in your physical health. Yeah. I don't know if I answered that question wrong. I'm 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 one of those guys who's ready to be with the Lord. So yeah, it's, but your it's, kids need you, friend. It's it's one of those things. So as we as we wrap up this, let me ask you a question. You asked a good question. Let me ask you this question. I think this is fun. I did this with a buddy yesterday because we've talked about fire and we've talked about the good and the bad of fire and we've talked about our living rooms um, and we've talked about idols. If your house is burning down, your family's out of the house. Your house is burning down, and you have the opportunity to run in and grab a couple of things. What are you going in to grab? Assuming my family is safe. Your family is safe. Like what? Have you ever thought of that? What are you going in and grabbing in your house? Oh, I have wow. a family Bible I would probably grab. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would probably try to grab Becky and I's wedding pictures. Yeah. And I don't know that this really counts, but I have a I have a box of important pictures and papers, and I would grab that. It's full of little trinkets and things that are yeah. significant to me. And some of us and, have safes like that. That was a caveat yeah. for me and my buddy. Like I have a safe with all my important documents and things like that. So that's, I that's a to, small safe. Yeah. I wouldn't have to worry about that. You know, like I that yeah. it, the house could burn down around it. But I but and this is going to sound super pious. But we talked. We were just talking uh, about it. My buddy Bart and I like. We, we're at a place in our lives, man, where we just cherish the Bible, like just really cherish yeah. the Bible. And I told him, I said, that's, there's a couple Bibles, family Bibles like you, there's like three or four in my, and I would go around the house and I would grab them up as quickly as possible. Cause they have notes from my grandfather in them. Um, it's not and, replaceable. It's not, 
It's not. And so I just, I, 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 that's my prayer for all of you that are listening is that you can draw close to God and see the things that matter and, um, and find strength in him and, and, and dive into the word of God so that it becomes this unbelievable treasure to you. Um, so I love it. All right. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always do that at faithfullyentrusted at gmail.com. And I also talked about our Facebook page. It's uh, Faithfully Entrusted on Facebook. So look us up. Uh, there's a lot of information there, and you can find out more about us. You can also listen to this podcast wherever podcasts are listened to, and we'd invite you to share it out with all your friends and family if it has been a blessing to you. Today we talked about First Kings. We talked about the fall, or David's uh, dying, Solomon taking over. Next week we'll finish this book up. Uh, Travis will bring us a good word. No. Yes, we hope. We may not. We get bogged down. That's the great thing about expository teaching. We may land on one verse and spend 25 minutes on it, but uh, we'll see what happens. Travis, I'm glad you're feeling better. Thank you. You'll be in the pulpit, I'm sure, this weekend. I will. And uh, and I always use this opportunity. Make sure you pray for your pastors. They need it. Pray for your your leadership at your churches, and uh, don't forget those men and women who are serving every day to the little ones and and the parking lot guys and the greeters and all the people that you know, the twenty percent of the church that does all the work, make sure you're uh, make sure you're praying for them. Travis, thanks for the word today, man. Do you have any nug? Do you have a nugget for us? I do. Um, these are sort of a chain of nuggets from okay. President Abraham Lincoln. Ooh, not a fan. Is that okay? I'm not a big fan of of, of Lincoln, but I, I will. I will. I will. Sub- you're going to sub- allow sub- this one. You don't I'm like Lincoln? Sub- I'll submit myself to this. All right. Our government rests in public opinion. Whoever can change public opinion can change the government, particularly uh, just so much. Yeah. So, whether you like Lincoln or not, that's a good thing, quote. It's a, it's a, it's a, yeah. You know, and that's from December tenth, eighteen fifty six, and uh, he's sharing with us the reality that we kind of face now. And you know, you you've got to ask yourself a question as we lead out today. And we talked about our hearts being turned from the Lord. Are there people today who have a vested interest in turning people's hearts away from the Lord so that they can continue to operate in darkness or not? Yes. I'll leave you to answer that yourself. Yes. Yeah. Think about that. That's a really great question. That's a, that's a, that's a reverse nugget. It's a question, not a quote. It was a quote from Lincoln. And then the nugget is uh, to think about that question today. Well, for Dr. Travis Tyler, I'm Zachariah Pugh. We really appreciate you listening to us. Join us next time when we open God's word to find out how Christ has faithfully entrusted us. And we will see you next week. God bless. Have a good day. See you.